0: Welcome to The Markets, Dateline Chicago, Friday, May 15. Hello again, Ori and Samuelson with you for our weekly visit as we take a look at the market activity from Wall Street to the feedlots to the wheat fields and everything else where we trade something. And I'll tell you at the very outset of our broadcast this week, Every time I say something moved lower, I will give credit to the pandemic, so I don't have to say that as every reason for the markets to move lower. But certainly, again, this week, they moved lower because of the pandemic. So let's take a look at today as we ended this trading week. The S&P 500 closed higher after swinging between gains and losses today as investors weighed worries about China-U.S. trade relations, weaker-than-expected U.S. economic data, And they tried to weigh that against growing optimism that easing the virus restrictions would boost activity this month. Economic data painted a grim picture today as U.S. retail sales and manufacturing output slowed and showed record declines in April Due to, I won't say it, that data came after U.S. President Trump ratcheted up trade tensions with China by moving a block semiconductor shipments to China's Huawei technologies from global chip makers. China was swift to respond with a report saying it was ready to put U.S. companies on an unreliable entity list according to the Chinese communist newspaper Global Times. But the combination of trade tensions and weak data had sent the S&P 500 down about one and a third percent earlier in the session, but then for much of the afternoon session it oscillated between positive and negative territory. An analyst in Columbus, Ohio said, we got the Friday jitters on China trade, but late this afternoon, the market turned its focus on reopenings. And he said, we're smack in the middle of May and think this might be the worst of the economic numbers. There's a chance they start to slowly turn positive, citing moves by most states to at least partially reopen their economy. But today, the Dow average uh, went up 60 points for the day to end at 23,685. The S&P 500 gained 11 points, that's 39%, to end at 2863. And the NASDAQ added 70 points to end the day and the week at 9,014. That economist said again today was very much about the battle of conflicting factors. That uh, because of the China-U.S. trade situation and then the economic conditions here in the United States and around the world because of the... uh, Oh, I hate to say it. Pandemic. Okay, I said it. Oil prices jumped as the demand shows signs of maybe picking up because the uh, crude prices for the U.S. jumped 7% to their highest level since March on strengthening fuel demand as countries around the world began to ease travel restrictions they had imposed to curb the spread of the pandemic u s crude gained nineteen point seven percent for the week. Brent crude rose five point two percent after the week and inter- u s crude settled up a dollar eighty seven cents a barrel six point eight percent to twenty nine dollars and forty three cents that's its highest since mid march and uh, the Brent uh, oil settled up a thirty-seven, or 4.4% a, a barrel, and ended the week at $32.50. So that's covering the week just ended, but I say every lower move described by me would be credited to the pandemic. So what do we look for next week? China's biggest search engine company, Baidu, is expected to post a decline in first-quarter revenue. And Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta President Raphael Bostic will speak on Federal Reserve's response to the COVID-19 challenge. So then for the rest of the week, that'll happen on Monday, for the rest of the week, Walmart will report first-quarter results on Tuesday. The world's largest retailer is set to post a its best quarterly same-store sales in over a year as the company, like other grocers and retailers that sell essential goods, reported a surge in demand both at stores and online, with consumers having hoarded supplies during the beginning of the outbreak. Walmart's profit is, however, expected to take a hit due to added expenses. Investors and analysts will be looking out for management commentary on spending trends from consumers and expectations for the future. And then uh, the department store chain, Kohl's Corporation, will report first quarter results on Tuesday. The company, which pulled its annual forecast in March because of, reopened some U.S. stores earlier this month as lockdowns begin to ease. But investors will watch for comments on the retail environment and the company's plan to navigate through the crisis. Target Corporation will report first quarter results on Wednesday, expected to highlight the impact again of you-know-what, the fueled lockdowns in the United States. The retailer, which pulled its annual forecast in March, has already said higher costs due to COVID-19 will hit profitability. Then on Wednesday, the Federal Reserve will release minutes from its last Federal Open Market Committee meeting on April 28 and 29. You remember, of course, the Fed kept interest rates near zero at its last meeting. On the economic front, a Labor Department report scheduled to be released on Thursday expected to show initial claims for state unemployment benefits likely totaled 2430000 for the weekend ended May 16th, compared with 2980000 for the week ended May 9. The Commerce Department releases data on housing starts on Tuesday. Likely they're lower because of you-know-what. As a matter of fact, they're expecting that number to come in at 950,000 units. In March, housing starts dropped to an adjusted rate of 1,216,000 units. That was the largest monthly decline since March of 1984. And permits for future home construction expected to have slipped as well. Thursday, the National Association of Realtors expected to report existing home sales falling to an annual rate of 4,300,000 units. That would be down from a rate of 5,270,000 reported in March. And we have several of our Federal Reserve governors conducting uh, virtual technology meetings around the country. They're not traveling, but they are appearing on the Zoom or whatever to uh, discuss the impact again of you-know-what on the uh, situation in their Federal Reserve Bank districts. Home Depot expected to report an increase in first quarter revenue on Tuesday as consumers stocked up on cleaning supplies and masks sold at its outlets. The company is also expected to benefit from sales of paint and tools to people looking to do minor remodeling and repair work while they're stuck at home. But concerns remain about demand lasting through an economic downturn. Lowe's companies expected to report an increase in first-quarter revenue on Wednesday as consumers there shop for cleaning supplies, tools, and paint while stuck at home. Chinese e-commerce giant Alibaba Group reports its fourth-quarter results on Friday, marking the first time It discloses the financial impact of the virus on its business. NVIDIA Corporation expected to report an increase in first-quarter revenue on Thursday, helped by strong sales of its data center and its gaming chips, with Internet usage booming during the virus-related lockdowns. Take-Two Interactive Software expected to post an increase in fourth-quarter revenue on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, Best Buy expected to report a decline in first-quarter revenue after the company was forced to close stores to shoppers because of the pandemic. Uh, Expedia Group expected to post a wider-than-expected first-quarter loss as the coronavirus-driven collapse in travel demand hit bookings at the online travel agency. The U.S. farm equipment maker Deere & Company expected to report lower second-quarter profit and revenue hurt by the virus that caused a disruption in demand along with factory closures. And uh, finally... Bank uh, Bath and Body Works owner L Brands is expected to post a first quarter loss compared with a profit a year earlier and a double digit decline in revenue due to store closures brought on by the coronavirus lockdowns. Investors will be on the lookout for more details on the company's decision to call off the sale of its majority stake in Victoria's secret business. And comments on its plans to reopen stores and demand for its products amid the pandemic will also be closely watched. Oh, it's going to be a a busy week as we look at all of the reports that are coming out and uh, looking at the continued impact of you-know-what on sales and on the environment and on the shopping, well, you name it, it's affecting everything. It's affecting agriculture, too, and we're going to uh, take a look at the agricultural market activity this past week. Mike Pearson our good farm broadcaster friend will sit down with uh, Dennis Smith of Archer Financial to talk about livestock and grain trade when we continue on the markets.
1: Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312 345 1322. Silver Lining Foundation is here to help.
2: Now let's take a look at what is happening in the livestock markets. To help us make sense of everything, we've got Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services with us. Dennis, we have seen a lot of volatility return to the cattle markets. We've got limit up, we've got limit down. When you take a step back and analyze the state of the futures markets in particular, what's the general trend we're seeing here in cattle?
1: The chart pattern is positive. We've we've, uh, plunged the market lower, come up and turning choppy, but we are chopping above some of the important moving average. So first of all, the trend, I think, is upward. We still have uh, contracts June and August substantially below the cash market. And guess what? The cash steer market now starting to head higher, not lower. So I think the market is in choppy, volatile fashion, is poised to eventually go higher.
2: Well, you mentioned the cash market there. Looking at a week ago, we saw incredible variability in cash prices paid across the country. What is the the historical precedence for that? I mean, we had trades on a dress basis, 146 to 180. That's a huge spread. Dennis, is that something we see very often in the industry?
1: No, honestly, Mike, we saw a 10 cent range in the cash steer market on Friday. The following Monday, as I recall, it was a 15 cent range in the cash market. That's in the live cash market. And many years you can go all summer long and not see a 10 cent range in the cash market. So that's the type of uncertainty. That's the type of volatility that, that we are dealing with as we wade through this uh, this coronavirus. We wade through the factors of uh, of a a severe situation at the packing plant and of course an unseen unheard of uh, food service sector that's been completely shut down
2: well when we talk about the processing plant bottleneck this has been really the headache of the industry over the past four weeks these shutdowns at plants dennis you've talked to a lot of folks in the industry you're well connected what is the status of most beef processing plants as we speak here right now
1: There's there's several things to keep in mind. First of all, the the change speed is going to be slower than what it was before the virus because of the protective measures in place now to protect the employees. That is going to be a fact of life for the foreseeable future, and I'll say the foreseeable future, meaning the rest of this year. The USDA is pretty much in line with that. In the latest meat supply-demand table, they basically indicated that we will not get through this backlogged cattle supply during the course of the entire year. They just simply revised down beef production by a huge 1.6 billion pounds. In other words, the industry is going to have to sort of place their way out of it. Placements will drop. We will continue to work through heavyweight and backlog supplies for the rest of the year under a slower chain speed.
2: Well, and that's the thing, these heavier weight animals, we have been seeing carcass weights come down, but they're still considerably above a year ago on the five-year average. Dennis, I mean, do you anticipate us tightening or becoming more current here in the foreseeable future, perhaps over the summer?
1: Yeah, it'll take, it'll take all summer and all fall to, to work through these backlog supplies. So unfortunately, cattle weights are gonna stay very heavy. They're gonna stay substantially higher than a year ago. And that is going to be a negative factor. The positive factor will be we'll simply be processing fewer animals each week and overall beef production will be down.
2: We've got a chat about the hog market. Reuters published a story really bringing to the consumer's attention that exports to China have been on the rise through this first quarter of 2020, despite the fact that a lot of folks can't find pork or they're having trouble finding pork in the grocery store. Let's dive into these export numbers in particular. Just how much has China been buying over the first quarter of this year?
1: Well, China's definitely stepped up their buying. They've almost bought and booked as much pork this year as they did all of last year. And we anticipate this trend to remain in place. In other words, China should be a very large, a very strong buyer of U.S. pork for the rest of the year. And this is something we've been counting on, something the pork producers have been counting on uh, in the face of an unprecedented uh, backlog now. It's really important to to keep these exports alive and well as we have to demonstrate that we are a reliable supplier of pork to the world.
2: Now, this is raising some consumer questions. If we don't have pork for U.S. grocery stores, how do we have pork to ship to China? Dennis, what's the answer to that question?
1: Well, the answer is uh, we we need to keep the export markets open and we need to work at the packer level to, to solve a labor problem, a very serious labor problem, and to try to get these animals processed as quickly and as efficiently as possible. Uh, while keeping the employees as as safe as possible so it's it's a real fine line here where are we going to be a reliable exporter or are we not going to be a reliable exporter and The pork industry has been working on building up this export market for years.
2: They have indeed. And of course, you mentioned we've got to get through this backlog. Dennis, with the plants coming back online, I know earlier this week we had 100% of plants operating, albeit at, at lower capacity. Have we turned a corner in the backlog of hogs? Are we going to stop seeing them back up? And when do you think we're going to start clearing up this backlog?
1: We're getting closer, Mike. We are improving, but we're still backing hogs up. This week, for example, we probably backed up close to uh, 300,000 hogs. About 90,000 a day is what we're backing up at the current slaughter pace. All plants are approximately 70% of capacity. I am hearing the good news is this will continue to improve. This will continue to, to increase. Maybe by the first week of June, we'll be back to processing, say, 2.2 million head a week, uh, getting close to where we should be close to where we're not backing up hogs.
2: Dennis, before we let you go, we have seen a price pullback here this past week in the futures markets. With the uh, the backlog maybe coming to an end here over the next several weeks or months, do you anticipate futures prices to turn around?
1: Well, we're bullish right now. We think that June hogs, which uh, are currently priced about $10 under the May May hogs are going off this week, Uh, or or going off as of today's broadcast, we are expecting the the hog contracts to show some upside potential. Uh, uh, Although volatile in nature, I consider all of the hog contracts undervalued right now.
2: All right. Well, thoughts there from Dennis Smith from
0: Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. With all of the talk in the United States about euthanizing animals and dumping milk We are seeing more and more food groups trying to get food to people who need it rather than dump it. The uh, fact is, as a matter of fact, yesterday, billions of dollars worth of fruit, vegetables and other farm products that might have gone to waste because of the pandemic. Instead will be delivered to food banks and nonprofit organizations that help the needy under a new Department of Agriculture program. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, and White House advisor Ivanka Trump yesterday toured a Maryland food service distributor that's participating in the farmers to families food box program. At a brief ceremony marking the program's launch at Coastal Sunbelt Produce in Laurel, Maryland, Secretary Purdue gave credit to the president, who has uh, had seen news reports about farm goods going to waste, and said, Sonny, I want you to bring me a program that will work So Purdue announced last month that his department will spend up to $3 billion in coronavirus relief money to buy and distribute agricultural goods through regional and local distributors. When this thing happened, obviously it was horrifying to hear about vegetables having to be plowed under because of no markets and milk having to be dumped animals potentially having to be euthanized because we had broken the supply chain, said the secretary. (laughs) Food distributors, though, saw sharp declines in business after restaurants and other food service establishments shut down or cut back because of the pandemic. Suppliers, like Coastal Sunbelt Produce, is now packaging the fruits and vegetables in family-sized Cardboard boxes and expects to deliver 35,000 boxes a week to food banks, community and religious organizations, and other nonprofits through June 30th. Purdue and Ivanka Trump and Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, who wore face coverings inside the refrigerated warehouse, watched as workers swiftly packed. Boxes with mushrooms, tomatoes, zucchini, bell peppers, potatoes, and other produce items. The workers were bundled up against the chill, and they wore face shields, face masks, and other protective gear. The president's eldest daughter has been working with USDA, the Small Business Administration, and Treasury Department To include smaller farms in coronavirus relief programs, according to an announcement by the president, who said in the uh, celebration on Friday, it'll be helping farmers, ranchers, but it'll also be bringing food to some of the food lines and some of the food kitchens that you've been seeing on television. There were uh, some other events besides the coronavirus this week. We did get an outlook on supply and demand of grain stocks. And the USDA said U.S. corn supplies will rise to their highest level, highest level in 33 years, with demand for ethanol remaining weak following this year's large plantings. The USDA, in its first forecast for the 2020-21 marketing year, based on its March acreage outlook, put corn stocks at a huge 3,318,000,000 bushels, and if realized, that will be the fourth biggest ever and the largest stockpile since the 1987-88 marketing year. USDA projected the uh, year's soybean ending stocks at 405 million bushels, and it's raised its soybean stocks to 580 million bushels, and it bumped the uh, wheat ending stocks to 978 million bushels. So the next report that we wait for from the usda will be the planted acreage report that'll be the big one and uh, that report will come out the end of june but uh, the ethanol industry that has really been hurting because of the cutback in fuel consumption because of the cutback in automobile travel Well, Jeff Cooper, who is the president of the Renewable Fuels Association, said that we may be past the worst situations. Fuel demand, of course, collapsed by about a third with the spread of the virus, and U.S. ethanol production capacity cut in half as around 150 facilities either idled or reduced rates. Now, as restrictions ease and gasoline demand begins to move higher, about 140 facilities are idled, and uh, hopefully they'll be able to come back to some sense Of production of ethanol. That market has really, really suffered, and uh, certainly not only here at home, but in the export market as well, because the uh, situation uh, has cut exports of uh, U.S. ethanol as well as consumption here in the United States. And along with that, the Deputy Secretary of Agriculture, Stephen Sensky, Announced this week, the USDA launched an online portal to begin accepting applications for, boy, they give everything a title in Washington, uh, applications for higher blends infrastructure incentive program grants. USDA plans to make available up to $100 million in competitive grants for activities designed to expand the sale and availability of ethanol and biodiesel fuel. The Deputy Secretary said as the virus response continues, America's energy independence has proven critical to our economic security now more than ever. Well, we're coming to the end of the school year and so those 2020 graduates from colleges and particularly agricultural schools around the country will have a graduation to talk about for a lifetime because of the technology we're using, the virtual technology to graduate students. Our granddaughter graduated uh, this past week, and she did it virtually, no walking across the stage to get that diploma. So uh, you graduates, you're coming into a tough job time, but uh, you will survive because hopefully you have been prepared for survival at the college you have attended. As we ended the week, not much change in prices. Wheat futures slightly lower, corn futures slightly higher, and soybeans um, just fractions of a penny higher. And the livestock futures trade at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, there too we're looking at small changes as we end this week. Well, we're ending this time too. Thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to your company next week on The Markets.